Hey, She Slays listeners. Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, the Focus Academy. So you know chiropractic can help kids, but you lack confidence in your knowledge or communication skills to educate parents in your community. I've got a solution for you. The Focus Academy gives you the training and education to understand the why behind those wins and challenges you're seeing in clinic. They teach you how to perform a full brain-based exam, how to go beyond just the subluxation, but stay principled in your chiropractic approach and address and understand the consequences on brain development. They take a two-pronged approach. First, clinical solutions taught in a way that gives you full access to a deeper and more comprehensive understanding and breaks those techniques and approaches down into digestible and practical steps. Second, right now strategies you can employ wherever you are in your training. You'll learn how to seamlessly ask and answer the big questions in your clinical exams and re-exams and have it actually inform the whole child approach and care planning in a way your patients will understand. And since you're a She Slays listener, you'll get free access to the Focus Academy's Kickstart program. Just click the link in the show notes to get started on your journey to improving your practice. Hey, She Slayers, and welcome to another episode of She Slays the Day podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Brunslick, and today we are talking fertility. I have a non-Cairo on. I have a fertility coach, Elizabeth King. Um, she's from California. She's awesome. You're going to like her. She's great. You know, okay, hold on. She is awesome. So this isn't about her, but I had a, I had a patient this morning. And she's one of those, I'm going to sound like a pessimist here, but she's one of those people that everything is always amazing. Like, how was your, you know, she um, had to present to a business group and I'm like, how'd the talk go? It was amazing. It was so empowering. And I'm like, oh, snap. Okay. No, maybe it was, but like, she's also somebody that can be like, how was your poop this morning? She's like, amazing. It was the best poop in the world. And I was like, huh. Um, and so, okay, I get it that there are some people that are just way more optimistic and happier than I am. And I'm not saying she's in the wrong. That's not what this is about. I think we could all be a little bit more like that patient who is just views the world through just joy and optimism. But let's be honest here. I'm not a pessimist, but I am quite cynical. Um, so I, when I, what I struggle with is like, if I tell you something went awesome, I mean, it went awesome. If I tell you like, I've given better podcast episodes, that's what I mean. And so how do you trust optimistic people? That's basically what I'm asking. How do we trust them? You cynics and pessimists will know what I'm talking about. But equally on the other end, other end of the spectrum, is if you have, we all have that patient who is always so negative. So again, I would take 100 really, really optimistic people over 100 really negative people. I, I think I both would would kill me. I think I just need realists in my life. Um, so yeah, you know, you just can't trust anything they say because it's like, well, was it terrible, Susan? Like the, your Christmas was terrible. Was it terrible? Or do you just think everything is terrible? Like we fixed your migraines, but now you're mad that your elbow hurts. Like what can I trust? So 
I don't know. You can't really respond if you agree or not. That's the funny part of this podcast scenario. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those things. The, re- the reason I got on this tangent is because I said she was an awesome guest. And I worry that, you know, I say that about every guest. And then you guys are like, Lauren, can we trust you? Can we trust you? Um, you can trust me. <laughs> Here's what I'll say. I think we just do a good job of vetting out people who might not be awesome guests. So by the time they get to the microphone with me, you know, they're going to be good. They're going to be good. Um, Okay, let's do a listener highlight. So this one is actually from um, a CA. So her Instagram is Britt Raybinder. Britt Raybinder. Maybe her middle name's Ray. Maybe her first name's Britt Ray. It's a weird first name if that's your first name, Britt Ray. Uh, I'm sorry if I just insulted you. And she is a CA, but she's going to chiropractic school and she might have started. I don't know. We have a long chat history. But her her highlight or her listener supporting highlight is your podcast has given me so much more insight into the possibilities of chiropractic. And I love hearing from your perspective as a somewhat local mom, female Cairo with a banging business. Um, thank you very much, Britt Ray. I hope that um, chiro- chiropractic school, she's got a lot, you know, she's got kids and she's looking at juggling, going to school. And that is, that's intense. I remember looking at the students who had like lives that they needed to attend to when they left school. And I was like, whoa, that that would be hard. When do you study? And they, I don't know, they figure it out. It is funny though, how you can make any stage of life really stressful. All right. Like if you run your own business and you've got kids, you look at your friends who run their own business, but don't have kids. And you're like, what do you do with all your time? I think back to like college and I'm like, legit, what did I do when I was only taking like 18 credits in undergrad and I'd have like class from one to four on Monday. Like, did did I just sleep? But somehow I found it to still be stressful. Yeah, it is like, man, we need, this is quite the tangent, but like it is something where I look at um, teenagers. I was just having this conversation with a parent the other day And, you know, rightfully so, her kiddo is dealing with a lot of anxiety and depression. And she's like, you know, I don't know what to do. Um, I, but like, I worry that she's going to do something serious. um, And like, I'm looking at putting her on a mood stabilizer. And I, you know, I obviously always empathize with parents. Like, you don't know, you don't know. So if you don't don't be putting your shamey judgy stuff on parents about medications and so i go yep nope i absolutely understand that that fear um i say you know my only concern is if we jump to medication without also incorporating things like meditation and talking to them about sleep and journaling and like just trying even if it's a yes and even if it's like okay Yes, but you, we're going to start doing therapy. Yes, but we're going to start doing meditations together in the morning. Yes, but we're going to, you know, be practice mindfulness journaling and things like that. I say like, you know, high school, yeah, is stressful. But like, if the only tool you give them now is medication, 
and you don't teach them any of those other tools, I go like, I want, I worry about her when she's in her thirties and she's got financial stress and she's got children's stress and she's got marital stress and she's got spirituality stress and friend, like, you know, and so the parent was like, oh yeah, that is a really good point. I'm like, you know, so we just, this whole thing is complicated. For real, how did we get on this? Okay, so today's guest is Elizabeth King. She's a certified fertility health coach, um, a master certified ICF life coach, birth and bereavement doula, and new parent educator. Her mission is to help people of all backgrounds conceive a healthy baby and carry to term. So you're going to hear her story. Um, we talk about how she had three children of her own after the age of 40. She loves taking a holistic approach, um, which obviously works really well because we're a chiropractic podcast. Um, and she loves helping people conceive, you know, as holistically as possible. She's helped hundreds of women achieve their dreams of conception and parenthood in 20 plus countries around the world. She supports clients through natural fertility, infertility, IVF, miscarriage loss, early pregnancy, PTSD, and new parent support. She's got 20,000 followers on Instagram, and she's a host of her own podcast, Pretty Little Tribe. For her expertise, she has been featured on ABC, in Parade Magazine, Thrive Global, Authority Magazine, Business Innovators, and on various podcasts. Um, and The Bachelor to the Blur Burbs is one of the podcasts that she is a contributor and also a contributor to the book Naturally Conceived. So she's got quite the fun, expansive resume. So let's pray. You know how this works. Let's pray and let's get into it. Dear God, some of the topics on this show are lighthearted and fun, and we have to tether them to purpose. Today's topic can be a major trigger for any women or men who deal with fertility struggles um, or miscarriage or PTSD around postpartum. Be with those listening that were are first and foremost individually affected by this topic. Just hug their heart as they listen. Wipe their tears if they need to cathartically cry and then go in to start seeing patients for their day. Um, be with them. Uh, for those that are the conduit of your love and the conduit for education for fertility. Help their brain just absorb everything to not be shut down to anything or advice um, and just to receive the information in a way and remember it that they can communicate and continue to guide their patients in the patient's journey. And remember that it is not about chiropractic fixing the person, not about chiropractic solving the person's problem at any point, but we are there to align that person so that brain and body can go on its journey and path at the greatest possible function. So in your name we pray, amen. All right, crew, so this is Elizabeth King, certified fertility health coach, and I just jamming and talking about fertility. Hope you enjoy. Okay, well, um, welcome to the show, Elizabeth. I it's nice to have you. Thanks for having me. So, 
before we really get into like today, we're talking about so many different things around infertility, fertility. I mean, we're, we're going to cover a lot. Um, but before we start jumping in and I start asking a lot of questions, I didn't warn you, I kind of have a little bit of ADHD. And so I'm going to do my best not to interrupt you. I really try, but sometimes I just have a burning question that I'm like, wait, 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 let it roll. Let it roll. (laughs) Um, so you love sharing with people about Fertility, infertility, I mean, do, the, do they kind of go hand in hand when I'm saying? Yeah, so I have a funny thing about trying to get everybody to just say fertility rather than infertility, <laughs> just putting it out there to the universe of like, we are all fertile in some way rather than that. But but most people will say they go that direction. That's just my little quirk about things. I like to say fertility. I love that. So how did you, I'm assuming there's kind of a life story that goes with how you've gotten to this point in life. So I would love to hear your background in this. Sure. So when I was 19, my 26 year old sister was diagnosed with a lung cancer on her cervix, which is extremely rare. There's literally still no, I already have a question, a lung cancer cell in her cervix. Yeah. Okay. And she went for, she actually called to get her birth control renewed, whatever you call it, prescribed, you know what I mean? Refilled, yeah. And the doctor was like, we we can't do it until you come in to do a checkup, right? Like they weren't going to redo it. I can't think of the word, but anyway, so she went in and it was basically like, there's something there. You need to go right away to go check something. And literally she was in surgery within three days. Wow. And essentially was given four months to live because nobody on the planet had survived this type of cancer before. Um, so it was very like they had just gotten married six months before. Mind you, she's 26. So like their answer was we're going to have fur babies. We're not, you know, not planning on dogs, basically. I mean, not planning on kids, just kind of leave us alone with that question. And um, I'll never forget coming home that night of this diagnosis. And she was there with my, her husband and my parents. And she came up to my room and we just cried and cried. Cause she's like, I never meant that I didn't want to have kids. Like I never, I was like joking about it, you know, like she almost felt like she had put it out there to the universe that this was happening. Cause it was essentially a radical hysterectomy, um, chemo and radiation. And once you had that um, chemo and radiation, they told her that she could never have it again in her life because of the amounts that they were giving her. So like, if it came back, which they didn't know because nobody had been living from this, like that was it kind of. And so she essentially was like, well, if I have nothing to lose, then let's just go for it. Right. I'm happy to say she's still here today. She's like in the medical journal. It's going to be a really bummer way to start out the interview. I know. I'm sorry. That was my first exposure to fertility issues. Like here's somebody who, so my initial thought in that moment at 19 years old, not knowing anything about anything was I'll have a baby for you. Like, duh, like that's what I'll do. Um, But at this time, again, now 26, seven years ago, that wasn't really a thing. Like surrogacy wasn't really a thing. And you had to have all these like prerequisites and, um, mental checks and whatever, which you still do. And that there's a reason for that, but essentially that didn't end up working out for us to have that happen for her. But that was my first exposure of like something around fertility, where it was not a choice for somebody. And, you know, you kind of always assumed you would have kids and yet now somebody can't. Fast forward to age 30, I got divorced and went to go freeze my eggs and went to the 
reproductive endocrinologist. And he said, you're too young. Come back later. I was like, what does that even mean? Too young. What? Like Why I thought it was, to be- I, yeah, like, no, get them while they're young. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, the, the thought process around that was basically that, um, the, the embryos thaw better than eggs. So he wanted to give me as much time as possible to have an embryo versus an egg that would be thawing later. And mind you, again, I'm for almost 46. That was almost 15 years ago. So the technology has changed drastically. I went back at 36 and the technology of the freezing process had changed. So he said, yes, let's do that. So I froze eggs. I did a round of IVF. I had 11 eggs frozen at age 36 now. So I had been having a business, my own business since 23, like didn't really think about having kids, but it was almost like checking the box for the 401k and checking the box for the frozen eggs. And like, okay, let's move on. Right. Um, still single and still having fun in my life and, and whatever. Um, so I felt like it was an insurance policy, but at the same time, he was, he was pretty clear that, you know, there's no guarantees. And I was like, okay, well, 11 sounds like a good number for me to have frozen, you know? Um, and then fast forward to age 39 and a half, I had just met my current husband and my periods had started getting super heavy, painful. Um, I went to my regular OB and they did an ultrasound and said, Oh, it's not, there's fibroids, but it's not a problem. I was like, "Mm, no, I kind of feel like it's a problem. So I went back to that reproductive endocrinologist, the fertility doctor, just to say, I'm hoping that I can use my uterus sometime soon. Now, can you just check this out? And he said, yeah, they're small, but where they are, they're in the lining and that's preventing you from the, essentially the embryo attaching because that's where it needs to go. Like in these areas. Um, so he recommended a gynecological oncologist because of the level of technology of what they have to go into the uterus and, or if you're having, um, ovarian cysts or things like that, which I always recommend for people also, um, rather than going with an OB, you know, God bless them. They, they have a wonderful position in what they do, but if you are having anything surgical, go to somebody who really specializes in top technology, because the last thing you want is additional scarring or anything as well that could potentially, you're taking one thing out, but then you're causing another issue, right? So here I am now at 40 waiting for my uterus to heal from that surgery. And the doctor was like, okay, well, you're 48 and you got to try now. Like you can't wait any longer. And our first try, we got pregnant. So I was like, oh my God, Awesome. Like job done. Go ahead you and know? throw away those other 10 eggs. I'm exactly. fine. Exactly. Um, so had a fairly um, uneventful first pregnancy. And then that's kind of when the wheels started turning a little bit as far as my next pregnancy ended in a loss. And it was in that moment where I was having my DNC, which is the surgical procedure to remove the tissue from that miscarriage. And in the bed next to us, like literally four feet from us with a a drape in between the couple was doing their first round of IVF. So like I and my husband were at like our lowest low and they were like super excited. And I was genuinely excited for this couple. But at the same time, I realized I had been a life coach since 2008 at this time and realized that this whole up and down of the emotional roller coaster and the level of education that you need to go into these doctors or whatever, nobody's supporting you through that. As amazing as the clinics and the doctors are, when you walk out of the door, like you don't know what to do. And you're trying to digest all of this information that nobody really talks about that as far as fertility and or miscarriage 
you know, compared to what it really should be and how often it's happening. Um, and that's when I realized I needed to shift my life coach practice to focus primarily on fertility and miscarriage loss. So here we are. That was four and a half years ago. So you have had two pregnancies and you have one child. No. So (laughs) I, I, you would think that by where I stopped, but I actually had, I ended up having three under three. So I have three boys. They're four and a half, three and one and a half. Um, and then I had a couple more miscarriages in between. So yeah, but I I had them from 41 to 44. So that's another big aspect of, I come to the table to say to people, it is possible. I did end up having them all naturally. My 11 eggs did not thaw thaw well. So I was not able to use any of those in the end. Um, And that's something that I talk about quite often because a lot of women in their thirties, especially now with this pandemic who are not really meeting people as often as they thought they would are thinking, well, I'll just freeze my eggs. And my information to them is if you get 10 eggs, maybe take three and make embryos for them because I have quite a few actually solo moms that I work with, um, that are in their forties that are just going through the process now that wish they would have had frozen embryos from their thirties that they could use now. I have so many questions. Okay. Okay, let's go. (laughs) First of all, I, I always joke with my listeners that I'm going to play, I'm a doctor. So I know all the words you just said, uh, but I'm going to pretend for a second that I have no idea what you mean with the under the, between freezing eggs. I get that part. Okay. The difference between freezing embryos. Embryos. Okay. So So, I'm involved in that. Yes. Okay. So essentially the IVF process is they stimulate your body, your follicles, in your ovaries to, to grow faster, bigger, whatever. Um, and then they extract those once they extract those, they see, okay, maybe I think I had, as for me, as the example, I had 13 extracted 11 of them were viable to freeze. Had I done embryos, I, you know, okay. As a single person, I would have, um, purchased donation. Okay. Yeah. I would have done sperm donation and had those fertilized. So then I would have had 11 fertilized embryos. Um, so people who are going into IVF as a couple, that's what they do. So they extract the eggs, they fertilize those eggs to become embryos. And then they see from that point, are any of those embryos viable? Are they healthy? And then from that point, people also opt to sometimes they don't, uh, to have them tested. It's called PGS or PGT tested, which basically is saying, is there any chromosomal issues or any genetic issues with those, those embryos that are there? So are they essentially as healthy as they can know to, to be transferred back into the uterus at a later time? Okay. Thank you. That helps a lot. I was like very confused. I'm like, Oh, okay. So you can freeze embryos, which is something I had never even heard of. Um, so you live in California, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I live in a very, very small town, but I'm also just in like the middle of the country and the way Mm -hmm. that women are treated at one of our local hospitals around fertility and miscarriage is appalling. Um, Like, so basically they don't do any fertility testing until you have had not just one miscarriage, not just two, 
three miscarriages, they will begin to start doing testing. Um, and a lot of times don't like really resist doing testing unless you have been struggling with getting pregnant for, I want to say like two years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's really, um, so I not, you know, we don't have a ton of resources around us. A lot of times people have to go to like Minneapolis or a bigger city, but even then it's like, it feels like the woman has to advocate for herself so much can is that that sounds like a lot of your experience where like one doc said one thing and you're like mm, no like yeah do you see that a lot? not so much where I am but I do see it a lot because I, I actually coach women all over the world literally um and you're not alone in having that however fertility clinics are popping up like crazy because they fertility rates are at a six year decline globally. And unfortunately they're going to continue to go that way. So it's something that's not going away. I'm sad to say, but generally industry standard is if you are under 35 and you've been trying for a year or you're over 35 and you've been trying for six months. Um, my kind of like wink, wink, nod, nod on the side to people that I talk to is, you know, you want a baby yesterday if you want a baby, right? So mm -hmm. guess what? I've been trying for a year. That's all they need. I, to know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, you don't know, you don't have cameras in my room. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and that way I always say like, let's get a, the lay of the land, right. You know, that there's nothing structural happening, happening. You know, that, you know, your cycles, you're ovulating, all of these things, just get a baseline of what you're dealing with, because that's part of, you know, sometimes the hardest part is you don't know what's happening down there. Like you think everything's fine and you think that it's working and you're maybe well, you, are if you get your period every month. Yeah. You're like that's the sign that it's working. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's also an indication that within your period, what is that like? Is it heavy? Is it light? Is it longer or shorter? And all of those things can indicate the, the level of the health of the, the egg that you have. Um, then there's a whole other aspect of the partner's sperm. Like, is he a smoker, a drinker? Does he bike ride? Is he in hot tubs? Like, does he work with his laptop on his lap? Does he keep his phone in his front pocket? All of these things can, you know, put an issue with the sperm as well. So I always, always want ev ev everybody involved as if there's more than two people, but <laughs> both people involved <laughs> um, to, to get checked from the beginning so that they know what they're dealing with. Right. Because then it's a lot easier to work backwards from there, you know, to know what we're working with. Yeah. So you mentioned kind of casually, Oh, we're in a six year decline yeah. uh, worldwide. So Obviously, we're seeing fertility become an issue. I mean, Joe Rogan had like some sperm doctor on talking oh, about yeah. phthalates. I don't know if you listened to that one. Mm -hmm. uh, I just know that we switched to all wooden utensils after that episode. <laughs> um, but what are some of the leading theories that are out there with like, are we less fertile? Are we choosing to delay having babies until later in life and that's shooting us in the foot is is it the chemical like what what are some of the theories out there that are like kind of the leading ones as to what's going on i mean it's a little of everything that you just mentioned and if, if i think that um dr swan is the one that may have yes. been on his yeah who wrote this book i think it's called something about counts or i can't remember off the countdown, top of my head right like the yeah, countdown yes, to yeah, zero countdown. yes mm -hmm. 
Um, and part of that is because of, if you think about our dads or our grandfathers for that matter, like whether they were out working a blue collar job or a white collar job, they finished work at five and they came home and they had dinner and they really kind of left work at home. Now we live in a world that is so far from that for men and women, right? So it affects us in both ways. So we're always attached to whatever it is that we're doing. And there's always this additional level of stress that people that went before us didn't have. So that's why when she may talk about these numbers in the 1900s to where we are now, and it's like so dramatic. And part of that just off the top is from the level of lifestyle that we have, because we don't have that downtime. We're not sitting around a dinner table at five 30 at night, every night. And like the moms, they're making dinner and like that doesn't happen really very often. So those gender roles as well have changed because the level of femininity and how we show up as women too, we live in a very masculine way. I know for myself, like I said, I was single from 30 to 40. I did everything for myself. I didn't, I mean, no offense to my husband, but I didn't really need a man to be there. Like, you know, you you have your mortgage, you take out the trash, you pay your bills, you do whatever. And that's living in a very masculine energy way that affects your hormone levels. Like it just does. That's it's over time. It that's how things change. And then the chemicals in our food, they didn't have that a hundred years ago, or even 50 years ago, the hormones in our food. I mean, we are so quick to now say I'm eating grass-fed beef and all of these like natural organic things. But yet at the same time, most women are on some hormonal birth control pill, right? So there's still a synthetic hormone working in their body all the time, but yet I'm having my organic chai tea or whatever it is. You know what I mean? So it's really understanding from the full perspective of what can I do to shift that kind of worldwide number for my own life, right? So like you said, getting rid of the, the things in your kitchen that may be causing um, hormone disruptors or watching the hot tub for the men and doing all the stress reduction things. And really the, the mental aspect plays a huge role. There's Harvard Medical School studies that have shown that you're 55% more likely to conceive if you're doing the cognitive work alongside trying to conceive. That's a huge number. That's not one five, that's 55% more likely. And that's why I see so much success with my clients because we look at it from the mind, body, spirit aspect. We build that fertility team. Is it a chiropractor and an acupuncturist and you know, a, a personal trainer and a nutritionist or whatever it is that you need to lift you, you up and your body up and your fertility up to get to where your end goal is, because we essentially live in a world that's working against us all the time with our fertility. So one of the things, um, when I have a patient that is frustrated mm -hmm. and sad and, you know, mm -hmm. in this fertility journey, um, one of the things that they usually voice to me is most frustrating, uh, is some of the stuff that people say to them, um, it will happen in God's timing. Um, you're just stressing about it too much. So how do you, when you have a new client that starts working with you, I mean, by the time that somebody is like, I am going to pay a coach to get me knocked up. Yeah. By the time they're at that point, I doubt they haven't tried much, you know, like I yeah. have. So when people come, women come to you or a couple comes to you, 
how do you balance the, okay, we need to make sure you're doing this, this, and this, and this, but then the mind aspect of like, but also like the fact that you're like in this masculine energy um, and like checking this list off is part of what's working against you. So how do you work with a client and get that balance? You're right. Most people who come to me have been down this road for a long time. My ideal client is somebody who's six months prior to trying to conceive because we can get their egg health to a good place. And then hopefully they avoid all that other, you know, years down the road. Um, But dealing with the majority of the people, we do go through a strategy session initially to see what supplements are you taking? Sometimes they're taking too many, like they've Googled online of all the fertility supplements that they're taking and, you know, their body's having a hard time detoxifying ones that they don't even need. So we go through that based on what their latest blood work may have been from their doctor. And we look at what those are. You know, if I see something that may be a red flag on, let's say their thyroid and that's looking too low or too high, I send them back to their doctor to look at that. If their um, vitamin D is too low or too high, we associate the right amounts for them to get in the the right number. Cause those are really the first two that I look at for people that are kind of red flags for fertility. Thyroid and vitamin D. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Low vitamin D correlate or too high? Because you also too high. Does anybody have too high? You live in California. Some people I know. Well I was on what what I was I taking? I um I was taking two five thousand IUs of um vitamin D when I was going through my fertility. And that's that still was like a good level for me as far which is pretty high. That's kind of a lot. Yeah. Most people are like one 5,000 IU a day. Um, but everybody's body is different, right? And everybody metabolizes it different. So we look at all of those things so that because people are holding on so tight, right? To like all the things I'm eating dairy-free, gluten-free, sugar-free. I'm, you know, they spent $10,000 on a fertility diet coach and they're still not pregnant. And they're like, so stressed about this or that or whatever. And so it's my job to kind of, again, like, let's breathe. Let's take a look at everything. Is it causing you more stress to like do that? If you don't have a food sensitivity to those things, you don't need to avoid those things. That is not going to be the deal breaker for you to get pregnant or not get pregnant. I promise you. So really knowing and trying to do the food sensitivity test and get to know what is causing inflammation in my body, if any, maybe there's not right. And, and working from there. So once we get all of that out of the way, and most people who are on this journey are very type A and they're very data driven and they're very intelligent about what's happening with their body. Um, and almost, sorry, do you think that's coincidence or do you think they've been driven into that mind frame? Like some, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think it's, it is a little of both because again, a lot of those people, are very, they're in, they're living in a masculine energy. They're high achievers. They're like used to like, if I'm doing everything, it's going to happen. Like I'm doing all this. Why isn't it happening? I have control. Yeah. And you know what? Fertility is not on our time, right? It's not a matter of like, I'm saying it's going to happen at this time. And that's when it happens. Right. And that's part of the frustration is like, you can do all the things and sometimes it's just not that time yet, you know? And that could be because of stress that's going on at work. And people sometimes don't realize like it actually is correlated. And that's where the stress hormones come in. The cortisol 
cortisol, the adrenals and all of those things. Most people don't realize that they actually are stressed. Um, they think because it's such a normal way of living. Like I, it's almost like a badge of honor if I'm working like 14 hours a day, but you know what? That's not really healthy if, if you're trying to have a baby. Right. And especially from, I often bring into like the spirit realm as well, but like from a spiritual aspect, those spirit babies be like, there, there's no time for me in that life. Right. Like you can't even go take a walk because you're so busy. How are you going to walk me? <laughs> you know, how are you going to have fun with me if you're not having fun? So we talk about all of these things to let them let go a little bit and realize, okay, how can I still do the thing? So my egg health is good and I'm working towards that, but also let go of the things that I don't need to hold on so tight to while still adding in things that help me tools. So like if I get, see a pregnancy announcement and I'm triggered by that, what do I do? Because I can do affirmations all day long, but if that's not my jam, that's not going to help me. Or if I'm, someone tells me to meditate or journal and I don't, I'm not feeling that, then you're wasting your time. Right? So we really work to see for everybody specifically, what is it that grounds you? And what is it that gets you to a point where you can get to a calmer state and your cortisol level levels are even. And do your you adrenals get, do you are measure calm. the, like, do you get cortisol, <laughs> estrogen, and progesterone tests also in the beginning? So the estrogen and progesterone are generally done by the RE or an OB on day two or day three of their cycle. Um, the cortisol levels generally, this is a generalization, will either be done by an endocrinologist if they believe that that's something that can be measured. Some don't. Some will say it's not really a thing. The, the urine test doesn't really measure it. And the saliva test doesn't really measure it. In fact, that was one of the doctors that I had. Um, so a naturopathic doctor or maybe a functional practitioner might help. Um, some chiropractors will be able to run tests like that. I do think that it matters because you, maybe it's not an exact science of that, but you'll be able to be like, oh no, like I do need to get myself in check. I do need to make more time for myself. If you are more data, yes. If you're a more data driven, that masculine energy person, like somebody coming in and being like, you just need to go for a walk and like you this. And then like, it's like, oh, it's too high. Well, how do I get that number down? If that's getting in my way between now and getting pregnant, it's like, you go for the walk. And it's like, yeah. okay, fine. I'll go for the walk to lower yeah. that. Yeah. And that's where, especially with women, it's a little bit harder to gauge those, those numbers. Whereas with the men, with the sperm count, it's way easier. So they can go into a urologist, do a semen analysis, make the changes, take the supplements, go back in 75 days and see the difference of how their sperm is improved with women. It's not as easy. So that's why I often also incorporate like seed cycling, which is putting different seeds into their, um, diet at different times of their cycle. So day, day one through day 15, it's certain seeds that help, um, promote flax and pumpkin. Yeah. Or, or is that the second half? Both. I mean, yeah. one's on one and the one's on the yeah. other, okay. um, but yeah, exactly that. And that helps to regulate because it promotes the estrogen and the progesterone at the different times of the month, which actually helps tremendously with the, anybody's body, whether you're trying to conceive or you're premenopausal. Um, so we do a lot of things that are natural as well, that they feel like they're still doing something because sometimes people just feel like they have to be doing something to mm -hmm. move the needle. Um, and when you tell somebody that you, you really just need to let go a little bit, they have a harder time with that. So we work with everybody individually to see what works for them directly. So you might have kind of already answered 
the question and what you just said, um, but like, I'm assuming bringing in the feminine energy mm-hmm. is part of what hell is part of this. Cause you know, yeah. you talked about how like there's a lot of masculine energy and we need more of the balance of the yin and yang. Yeah, so yeah. then how, what are some of the suggestions that you give to women on like how to tap into that? Cause I mean, that's something like, um, I have two children. Um, I would not say we had fertility challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it took us seven months. Yes. Yes. Um, it took us seven months of trying with our second. Um, Mm -hmm. and there was a very, very early miscarriage in there. Mm -hmm. Um, but ultimately when you're looking at the, like I carry a lot of masculine energy, a lot Mm -hmm. of entrepreneurs just tend to do that. Mm -hmm. So what are some of like the feminine energy ways that you coach people into bringing it more in? Yeah. And it's so basic. It's almost like crazy how basic it is, but especially since the pandemic, like we've been home, we're in like right now I'm in jeans and a sweater, but put on the earrings, put on the lipstick, you know, baseball Mm -hmm. hats. That's a very masculine like energy, just putting on a baseball hat. So years ago, when I started to do some of this feminine work, I like got rid of all my baseball hats. Cause I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. Right. I'm showing up as like, this is pretty manly. Right. Um, offering to, to make food. How can I, um, show up in a way that is tapping into that? It's almost like, it sounds crazy because as much as we're like, yeah, girl power and we can do anything. I know which, it's frustrating which, in my I know. head. I'm like you're telling me to get in the kitchen and put lipstick on. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And trust me, I don't cook. So, um, and it's not even so much like cooking that. It's just like being present there, right? Like, so what can I do to like make it nourishing for my, my family, right? So am I there? Am I getting the lunch ready for my kids? Am I like doing what traditionally would be, you know, women's things and, or look at nature, you know, look at anything in nature to know what is the, the role of the feminine versus the role of the masculine in nature. And just try to emulate that as much as you possibly can, right. A flower or the usually most birds, the feminine ones are the beautiful ones. Right. And so there's a reason for, for that. And, and, you know, identifying with nature as much as possible in the simplest way. So it doesn't have to be complicated, like put a dress on sometimes or put a skirt on, which seems so like out of the ordinary for most of us to do that. But it's like, you start to emulate that. It's weird. Like all of my clients will say it is weird. Like to sit at my desk at home in a dress, I feel different. Like I just do, I feel different. I feel more feminine, you know, and, and your partner will start to look at you like, Oh, that looks good today. You know? And it's just, again, like, it's almost like when you get ready for a presentation or something and you're like, I'm going to put a suit on or I'm going to whatever, like you stand up a little taller, you feel a little more confident. You're like, yeah, I got this. Right. So it's not that we're um, leaving that masculine energy behind because we don't, at this point, we don't need to prove it to anybody. Like we got this, everybody knows that we do like it's kind of a no brainer, but now it's like going back to the old, like, what can I ask help for? What can I have somebody help me with? Can you open the door for me when I'm going into Starbucks? Can you, you know, can you allow that masculine energy into you a little bit more in a different way? 
I actually, that's the best advice that I've heard from someone on how to incorporate uh, feminine energy in, because a lot of times it's been um, with things that aren't natural to me as far as like, oh, like paint or like, you know, like (laughs) make something with your hands. And I'm like, you want me to color? Like, I don't, don't. so like I can put Uh lipstick and earrings on like that's, that's easier actually. Yeah. So let's talk about the boys for a sec. Um, cause you, we've kind of talked about it a little bit, like, do you feel like we culturally protect the male from their piece in this? Traditionally, yeah, yes. Now I think they're on blast right now to be like, times have changed. My friend. Firm. Yeah. Yes. This is, this is, you know, a two-way street and it's almost ridiculous that this conversation hasn't happened before. Like, of course, I mean, everybody knows it takes an egg and a sperm to make it. So why wouldn't it have been part of the equation before in the conversation? Um, so traditionally, yes, but I think more and more of the clinics are stepping up to say, okay, as soon as we get you checked out, we have the male analysis analyzed as well at the same time, which is great because when I first started doing this, I had one poor girl who was three years into it only to find out three years later that it was the guy's issue. And it's like, that's criminal to me, right? Mm -hmm. Like she took on so much stress and so much guilt and so much sadness and frustration and whatever again, only to find out. And this was not in the States. It was in the UK, but still it's like, it should not, that should never happen. Right. We should know from day one. And again, the the benefit for the men is for the most part, it is able to change. You can affect change pretty easily with the sperm. You can. Yeah. Cause Um, I mean, that uh, lady, the swan, swan, I don't know. Um, You know, it really seemed like a dire situation where you have the sperm you have, if they're damaged, you're, they're damaged. And there's not, you know, if it depends, if there's something genetic, then yes, there, yes. you know, that's, but for the most part, no, I mean, I have clients all the time that are, you know, have low sperm counts and do change lifestyle diet supplements. And then again, get tested later. And they're worlds apart from where they were initially. Um, and that's, I mean, I love data. So to me, that's the coolest part when you can actually say like, Oh, I did this and that happened, you know? Mm. Um, so, but at the same time, most men don't have an awareness. Like they have the, the myth of like, Oh, um, if you wear tight underwear, this is going to happen or whatever. I mean, there's some truth to that, but at the same time, there's so much more than that. And really that's all that men ever focus on is like that where, well, no, actually it's your stress level. Are you smoking? Are you drinking and smoking of any type? Because they're like, oh, well, it's not nicotine. It's marijuana. And that's healthy for you. According to some people, it's still restricting the veins in your body. Right. And in doing that, that's causing issues. So, um, even the supplements like the CoQ10, the vitamin D, the zinc, um, vitamin C for that matter, like all of those even basic supplements, it's all comes back to the cell growth, right? And how, how those cells are forming. And because men are able to reproduce new sperm, whereas women were born with the amount of eggs that we have, we do know now that we can affect change in those eggs, which is why I'm such a huge proponent of, it is possible to have children later in life. You just need to essentially work on those 
the cell growth of those eggs to just like get them a little healthier, right? Give them some attention, some love so that they know that they have a job to do, even though they haven't done it until they're 40 years old. It's, it's same time now. So, um, it is possible to do that. And so yes, to long answer to your question about men, they are getting a little more attention around this, which is great. They need to, I'm a mama of three boys. So we, you know, it's, it's near and dear to my heart to make sure that they're healthy in that way too. Okay. Um, so you talked about, you know, it is possible to, you know, deliver, have great pregnancies later in life. Uh, when do we start calling it a geriatric pregnancy, (laughs) by the way, what an asshole move. Totally. Totally. (laughs) I remember the first time they said it to me, I, they're like, there's a lot of geriatric, you know, uh, the hospital has a lot of geriatric patients. And I was like, okay, good. Good for Why them. are you telling me that? You know, like, what does that have to do with me? Then I realized like, oh my God, they're referring to me. Like I am the geriatric patient. I'm thinking like the 80 year olds in the hospital, you know? No. Um, so where I live, it's, uh, there's a lot of older moms here. Um, however, it's 35, which 35 That's is pretty young. Old. <laughs> I no, I know. No, I remember thinking that like 36 and over and I'm like, wow, yeah. wow that seems pretty young. Yeah. Um, Okay. So you talked about vitamin D obviously playing a big part. Does that correlate with the baby blues thing too? Because that's something you like talking Mm -hmm. about and like kind of prepping for baby once you get pregnant and avoiding baby blues. Um, Because I've seen studies that say like low vitamin D can contribute that to that too. Like what do you talk about with your clients and avoiding baby blues or embracing it is maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's more of like a heads up, right? Especially with, if you have gone through fertility, you kind of tend to identify with, I have this issue, right? And then all you ever want in your whole life is to have this baby. And then you have this baby and then you're like, I'm not sleeping. I'm you like stressed. I'm having all these issues and this is not what I thought it was going to be. Right. But I'm not allowed to think that it's not easy and fun and beautiful all the time. Right. Which I'm here to tell you, no matter how hard you've tried to get your baby, whether it's through adoption or IVF or natural or whatever, being a new mom is hard. So it's, they just feel guilty of like, yeah. I prayed for this. I offered mm-hmm. so much that if I could just get pregnant, I would never complain again. And here I am mad that my baby woke up a third time in the middle. Of the yes. Yes. And it's okay. So, so I really tee them up for that to know that all of those things are okay. All of it is allowed. You have permission to have someone help you with your baby because they also feel like I can't have anybody feed them or wake with them in the night. It has to be me or whatever you, it doesn't have to be you. You have to take care of yourself because not taking care of yourself is going to be even more detrimental later. And I know we all like want to slap somebody when they're like, Oh, put your air mask on first and then take care of somebody else. Cause when you're in it, you're like, no, I have to do all the things all the time, but your body has gone through so many drastic changes through again, either conceiving naturally and, or having hormones to help with that through IVF and then your natural hormones that kick in through pregnancy and then birth, like it's exhausting for your body. It's very taxing. Um, and then the mental aspect that kicks in with that. And that's why having the right amount of supplements and to support your body through all those things with not sleeping. And you need to make sure that you're eating properly, setting up, 
food beforehand, when you have the baby, all the things to like tee yourself up for success, knowing that that's a potential, right? I always say like, if that means saving your money so you can have a house cleaner once every two weeks or once a week so that you don't have to worry about that for the first five or six weeks, do that. Like it is so important to make sure that you have the support that you need, that you don't feel like you're doing all the things you're cooking, you're cleaning, you're taking care of your baby. Because as much as they sleep a lot, there's still a lot to do. You're cleaning bottles, you're doing changing diapers all the time. Like it's, it's a lot of work and you're exhausted and that exhaustion. There's a reason that foreign countries use sleep deprivation as a sign of, as a way of torture, because you start to go into psychosis sometimes. Like it is very, very critical for your body to heal and to have sleep. So if that means you take your friend up on coming over to sleep over a few nights a week, do that and don't feel bad about it. Do you feel like women receive the information so like i'm picturing you know like you know they're pregnant and you're like giving them this like pep talk Mm -hmm. of like here's what you're gonna do this first two months or three months to like um but then they're like oh uh uh-huh yes i will and then they don't really like or do they actually listen and like follow the advice i would say one out of ten does not listen right they're super controlling masculine energy (laughs) yeah super controlling. I'm going to do everything my way. You know, I'll figure it out on my own. The nine out of 10 are like, Oh my God. Yes. I'm going to do all the things I'm going to. And they are like, so confident going into it. They know what to expect with breastfeeding. They have their lactation consultants, you know, on speed dial if they need them. So when those things do come up, they're like, Oh, I've heard this before. Elizabeth and I talked about this before. I have the house cleaner set up to come. I have food already ready, either like a food train or um, HelloFresh or SunBasket or whatever is coming. I have people on a rotation who's going to be here and when they leave and when they come and they're like, this is so much easier. And they feel so like the word that they use all the time is I'm just like, I got this. I'm confident. It's, you know, because I had all these things in place and I knew it. And then they're able to enjoy their baby. They don't feel as stressed about being sleep deprived because they knew ahead of time. Cause we've all heard, right? Like, Oh, get your sleep because your baby's coming and we don't really do anything of it. But if somebody's like, no legit, you need to have a plan for this because it's, it's not healthy for you. And, and as well, making sure that you're taking the postnatal supplements, you don't let go of your supplementation when you have your baby. Because do, do you recommend a out. switch in supplements or the prenatal and postnatal pretty much the same? Or is there a big pretty change? much the same unless somebody's not um not breastfeeding their baby? So essentially we kind of say it's like the fourth trimester. Mm-hmm. You know, your body is still acting as if it's recovering, it's coming down from this 10 months of building a human, you know. And so we want to still keep those same supplements going for a while. Okay. Okay. So final question, um, as a provider and a lot of our listeners are, you know, we're a piece of the puzzle in Mm -hmm. this woman's journey. Right. Um, so what are some of the best ways things we can do slash not do when, if we have a patient who we know is struggling with fertility issues, like what are kind of the, like, make sure you support them this way. Don't do that. Yeah, it's so hard because I feel like you guys are in such a funky position in the fact that they really look for you for so much, right? Mm -hmm. And your training is really in, I know how to fix 
a lot of these things with you, but then right. the a lot of us aspect, are just very focused on the nervous yeah. system. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. And then when they're there crying or whatever, it's like, Oh God, what do I do with this? I don't know. You know? And I think part of that is really allowing some extra space and time for those people that, you know, are going through this because oftentimes they don't have somebody that gets it or is there to, to give them that space to just listen for two minutes and know like, it's okay. We'll get through this. Well, I'll help you figure this out. You can talk to, there's a lot of fertility coaches out there. There's clinics that you can talk to. Even if you're in a place where there's not a lot of fertility clinics, I have people from Belgium call a doctor in San Diego who specializes in mini IVF. Like you can do phone consults with people all over the world that can help support your clients, your patients to see what's next for them. So they feel like they're making a little progress and that you are part of their team, right? It's, we want, again, I, I saw a chiropractor throughout my pregnancy, especially number two. And that chiropractor was such a big integral part of my journey as far as that, because my body was in pain and knowing that I had her support through that. And she could then refer me to other people that, you know, could also be in that realm of practitioners that could help support somebody who's going through that. So I think really just opening up your, your practice to a network of maybe Mm -hmm. it's acupuncture, like here's a reference for fertility acupuncture that can help, or maybe you should talk to a therapist or a coach that specializes in this because it will go a long way. And I know some people are not super open to that, but it's almost the way that I explain it to people. It's like a personal trainer. A personal trainer is like a fertility coach because it's a two-way dialogue versus a therapist. Usually they have a boundary of, you know, you don't really know a lot about them. You, you know, they're talking, they're listening more to you. And this is a two-way street of, I get you. I hear you. I see you. We're going to get you to the other line. The, the, line that you want to go to. And maybe that's not conceiving yourself, but maybe that's egg donation or embryo adoption or traditional adoption, whatever it may be. Um, but you're not alone in the process and you are supported. So I think just having that space and, and with those clients that need a little extra attention, like book them in for an extra five minutes so you can Mm -hmm. listen. And I know that sometimes it's hard because we're like, so onto the next person, but at the same time, I think it goes a long way and people will remember that for sure. Yeah. I think you, you nailed the role chiropractors play, um, on the head because, you know, we're, we just, and we just want to fix everything. Um, Mm -hmm. and so this is kind of, I, I love your answer because, you know, so many of the times I feel like we're like, I'm not doing enough to get her pregnant. Like it's Mm -hmm. almost like chiropractors, um, and I'm sure other professions, uh, OBs, I'm not, I don't think chiropractic is alone in this, but we view like, I'm going to get you pregnant in a not creepy way. Um, <laughs> but just being aware that like, there are things called fertility coaches. I didn't know that, you know, like yeah. I didn't know that fertility clinics are becoming extremely popular and I could look and I bet you there's one within an hour of my town. And it's our job. Like we see lots of people going through things. This is possibly the woman's first time ever even thinking about this. Mm -hmm. And so like the idea of a fertility coach may not come to her unless you suggest it or, you know, so. Yeah. 
And it's really looked at, as I said, a, a fertility team. So what are we doing as a team to lift this person up, right? Especially like a collective as women too, you know, as the collective, what can we do to help support this fellow woman or a human that's going through this, that we can help them on their way, whether that's a recommendation to somebody else or a couple of minutes of extra time with them or whatever it may be. It certainly goes a long way because nobody ever thinks that this is going to be their life, no. right? Everybody thinks when I want to have kids, it's going to happen. And, or I'm trying not to have kids and no, I've we spend so thought, much trying not to have a baby. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh. And that's the bottom line. I always say it's not a competition of who went through, you know, 20 rounds of IVF or whatever, whatever we, they all have the underlying feeling of this is not how I thought it was going to play out. Right. I did not see this coming. So just having somebody to be there to understand and be like, I get it. You know, even if it didn't, even if it wasn't your story, you know, I, I get that this isn't how you thought it was going to be. Let's help you get through this. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So if people, um, have patients that they want, you know, that they've been struggling for a while and they want to give your information, where can people get more of you on my website at elizabethking.com on Instagram at Elizabeth King underscore coaching. I also have a podcast, the pretty little tribe where we talk about fertility and motherhood and all the good things. So yeah, on any and all of those places. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, I have a feeling your weather today is a lot better than mine. Where in California are you? Southern California, Orange County. No, oh, I was born in Orange County. Were you? Yes, Mission Viejo. I know. Oh. I want to. My little one goes to preschool in Mission Viejo. Oh, funny. Actually, yeah. um, right, you know, instead of winding down the thing, I'll just so I had I was born in Mission Viejo Hospital. Uh -huh. And then fast forward like 16 years, I'm in La Crosse, Wisconsin on a dance team. And we're like stretching and um, I'm talking, somebody says something about how I don't, I don't get armpit hair. I just never have. And some random goes, fact, just random fact. Um, and somebody goes, oh, Sierra doesn't get armpit hair either. And I'm like, crazy. And then I'm like, wait, weren't you born? Aren't you from California too? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, where? She's like, Orange County. And I'm like, where? And she's like, Mission Viejo. And I'm like, shut the fuck Now she was two years older than me, but I always say what the heck was happening in Mission Viejo in 1984 to 86, where us girls don't have armpit hair. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, I'm going to start asking people around what, right? when and where are you born? <laughs> and do you get armpit hair? It's fine. Nice exactly. to meet you. My name's Elizabeth. <laughs> oh, well, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. And yeah, thanks um, for having me. Thanks for opening this conversation around fertility. I think it's so important to, to build that awareness. So thank you. Yeah. All right. She Slayers until next week. Bye. Bye. Hey, She Slayers. Are you looking to get your team off the phone and streamline your front desk so you can spend more time doing what you love? SCED has exactly what you're looking for. They will automate all your appointment reminders, missed appointment reminders, reactivation campaigns, allow you to have two-way texting with your patients. Plus, they have a very cool app that your patients are going to love. The app alone saves chiropractors tons of time because it gives patients the flexibility to move appointments to a time that works better for them. Don't worry, you won't lose control of your schedule because you'll have access to all the parameters that keep you still in control. Plus, there's overbook protection, so your schedule won't get out of hand. SCED was created by a chiropractor for chiropractors, 
so you can rest assured that you're getting the absolute best system for your office. Dr. Eric Kowalki is committed to the chiropractic mission and he works closely with his developers to always be innovative so that we have the best system available. If you're hesitant to switch to SCAD because you already use something else, let me tell you, it's worth every penny. Plus, mention that you heard about it on my podcast and they'll give you a discount. Seriously, it is a game changer. Don't wait. Don't wait.